Shalom, and I hope all is well. My name is Yitzchak Schiffman. I love sharing Torah classes, and thank you for listening to this episode. Feel free to follow and to share with others so they too can enjoy the Torah classes on this podcast. Now, on to the episode. Okay, today's daf, Masech is given is daf Ayan Aleph 71. We're beginning the very top of the page. There's going to be two sections in today's daf. The first section is going to deal with you have a deaf mute, someone who's called a cherish in halacha. What is his capacity to divorce his wife, amongst other things? Because there are capabilities of communicating that are not verbal, meaning you could write, you could gesture in order to instruct, and that's going to be a point of discussion. The second point of discussion is going to really tie into an earlier debate we had, where we had a machlokis of Rabbi Yossi and Rameyer, if mili mimsur and l'shliach, which means if I command somebody to do something, or in this court case, a basedin, three people, can they pass on that verbal information to another individual, or other people, or not? Mm-hmm. That's going to be machlokis, and it will tie into the Mishnah that we're going to quote in Amud Beis as well. So let's get top of the page. Amar of Kahana, Marav Rav Kahana says in the name of Rav. So he's talking about an interesting case. A fellow got married when he was a pikeach, which means he was normal, competent. He had das, everything good. Later on, while they were married, he became a cheresh, and now he wants to divorce his wife. So says Rav Kahana Marav, As long as he could speak from within writing, which means he can write competently, and you could determine he never lost his competency that he had originally, because he only became a cheresh after he was married, that you can write and give a get to his wife at his, at his written command. So Rashi explains, there's a chiddush here like this. If a fellow married a woman when he was already a cherish, that means that the entire marriage was done when he was a cherish, which is only rabbinic in nature. So it's not a chiddush to say he could divorce her then, because since the entire marriage was rabbinic, the divorce can undo a marriage that was rabbinic as well, as it's a rabbinic divorce. The chiddush over here is that even though when they got married, he was a pikeach, he was sharp, and therefore, the marriage was certainly on a Da'oraisa level, a tar level. And now he's divorcing her, he's a cheresh. As long as we could determine that he could write within writing, I want to divorce her, and he's sharp, he's considered a pikeach, still competent, and he could divorce her with written instruction as well. And then uh, witnesses could write it, and the Adam would sign it, etc. So Rav Yosef, Rav Yosef says, My Kamash Malan, what is Rav teaching us? I don't even understand the cheresh. It's unnecessary, because Tanina, in our Mishnah we taught, Nishtatek, if a fellow becomes mute after he's married, there's an elaine, he became mute. Ve'amrulo, and people said to him, Nichtov get le'ishtecha, shall we write a get to your, for your wife? Ve'herkin barosho, and he nodded his head. So we said in the Mishnah, this was yesterday, both <coughs> we check him three times, which means we will uh, test him, two days ago, we'll test him to see his level of competency. And we'll ask him three questions on various subjects. Im Amr Alav Lav If he gestured by shaking his head what was supposed to be no, no, and yes, yes. You are able to write and give that get. So says the Gemara, says Rav Yosef Tarab, understand the Chiddush. Of course we could test him and we see he's pikeach, he's competent, and this get is effective. So what's your Chiddush, what you're saying about Cherish, that you can write a get and give it to his wife based on his command if he was originally a pikeach, he could assume he's a pikeach now. So Amr Leir, Rav Yosef, says back to you're asking a question for our Mishnah. Our Mishnah is talking about an Elim. Elim is a mute. Mute means he can't speak, but he could hear. 
Shani Ilaim, that's different. The Tanya, because the Brisa teaches, Medaber somebody can speak and cannot hear, Zehu Cherish. So this would be called Cherish. Now, when we say this is a Cherish, this is a less severe form of Cherish, because the Cherish that Rav's talking about, of Kanama Rav, is where he can't speak and he can't hear. He's lacking in both departments. At all. So, or at least not without writing. That's really what we're talking about here. But if he can speak and not hear, that would be like the lower level of cherish. He still has the c- capacity of speech, though. And Shomea ve'enu medaber says the Bryce, if he could hear and not speak, zeo ilim. That's the definition of an ilim, a mute. And zev is zev, zev is zev, says the Bryce of both those two people that are only lacking one capacity, harehen kepechem l'chol devreim. They're considered... Uh, intelligent, they're considered competent in all areas. So that's not a chid. The Mishnah that says he can write and give a get if he's competent, that's because it's talking about an elaine. The chidish of, of Kahana Marav is even though he's a full fledged chidish, which means he's lacking in both hearing and speaking, if we can see from writing that he's competent, he could divorce his wife, undoing his marriage to Araisa. Texting might be a similar idea, probably. So, so, so imagine. Thinking, texting is probably eliminates this problem. A similar idea. Right off the bat of whether or not they're competent. I don't see why there should be a major distinction between writing or texting. It sounds very similar. Yeah. The Gemara says, just to analyze this, how do we know How do we know that someone that cannot hear but could speak is considered a cherish? means his lacking in hearing is, is defined as, again, the less severe cherish, though. And lacking in speech is an ilim. Where do we see this? So there's two answers. First answer, the Gemara says, Pasuk in Tehillim teaches us, David HaMelech says, I like a cherish cannot hear. So you see clearly cherish is the one lacking in the ability to hear. And like a mute, I can't open my mouth to speak. So that's a clear reference to these ideas. Bibai Seim, alternatively, that the way we know Elam is a mute is because the word Elam is actually an acronym for Ishtakil Min Lule. People refer to Elam as someone whose words were taken, removed. Ishtakil means removed. So that's why Elam, it's an acronym for that in the sense that he's mute, he cannot speak. And then by implication, Cherish is somebody that can't hear. Okay. So we've resolved this cha- this challenge against Rav, which is we see that although uh, Elam, which is the case of the Mishnah, such a fellow. He could have a get written for his wife. He wouldn't know a cherish, a full-fledged, where he can't hear and he can't speak. That's the chiddush of Kanama Rav. If we see he could write, then meaning and command properly, you can divor- divorce the wife, even though the original marriage was Daraisa. Amar Rabbi Zeira says, Ikashali hakashali. But if you want to ask a question on Rav, this would be the challenge. Detanya. See, we have a brysa, and this is in the parsha of Karban Shvasa Edus. So the lach is like this. If a witness conceals testimony that he's supposed to testify, and he swears about that he doesn't know testimony, he has to bring a special carbon called carbon shposeidus. The Pasuk says, Im lo yagid, if he does not testify. So then he's liable because he didn't. So what does Im lo yagid teach us, says the Brisa, if he does not testify? Prad This excludes a mute person, says the Brisa, who is not able to testify. That's the Brisa. So says Rabbi Zeira, but one second, Amai, why can't he testify? You're saying he could determine competency, the fact that he could write. So if he can write and he can say, I don't know testimony, that should be effective to make him a pikeach, an intelligent person, and he should be liable for concealing testimony. You're asking a question from testimony. Testimony is different than determining competency. 
Shani edus edus is different. Testimony drachmana amar mepiem because the Torah says when it comes to testimony that in order to have an effective testimony, it has to be from their mouth, verbal testimony. From that we exclude it can't be written. But in order to determine that he's a pikiach, he's competent, maybe writing is effective. Morris says we have a problem with Abai's answer because you have a Bryce that says like this. Kishem, says, just as we can test somebody who can't speak to know if he's competent to divorce his wife by, by gesture or by writing, so too we can test him for transactory law, <coughs> sales, etc. We can test him to see if he's competent and it would go through. This is going to be the question, as well as for testimony. Well, the Yerushas, as well as for inheritance. So the Gemara says, Katani Mias Eduyos. You see, when it comes to testimony, you could test him, and the Allah would be that it would be effective. So you see, even though it's written, Lachor, that's what we're talking about here, where he writes over a testimony, it would be acceptable. This doesn't fit with Abaye. <coughs> no, when it says testimony, really in general, he can't testify based on writing, because the Torah says testimony has to be done verbally, not written. This is specifically talking about edus isha. When it comes to a woman who doesn't know if she can remarry, so there, even if a puzzle witness shows up and says, "I saw your husband die," etc., it's acceptable. So here too, you can ta- you can rely on the aide's writing, even though he can't speak. Takila Borabana, the Ravana were lenient there. <coughs> Why were they lenient? Because of iguna, because they didn't want her to get stuck, unable to remarry. Asks the Gemara, Bakatani Yerushos. <clears throat> but that same Tosefta taught Yerushos, which sounds to say he can testify about other people's inheritance. So you see, testimony is effective from writing. It doesn't mean other people testify about others. It means he's commanding his last will and testament, or he wants to command how his own children should inherit. Rashi explains, for example, he wants his Bechor son not to get double portion. He wants him to get like regular, like everybody else. So he could have that done if he wants to. And that's not a testimony. That's just a command that could be done written. Asks the Gemara, Katani Mias, but the Brisa also taught, Limasos, Limatanos. That's talking about transactory law. My Lavla Alma, doesn't it mean he's testifying for other people about transactions? You see, it is effective in the, in the written form. So Gemara says, Lola Dide, it means for himself. It means for his own transactions, he can write things down and transact. But to testify about others, he wouldn't be allowed to. Okay, so we've resolved the question on Rav and uh, moving on to the next question. Mesavay. So Gemara says another question on Rav. There is a Brisa, and this is actually a strong challenge. The Brisa says like this, bottom line is what comes out according to Rav Kanam Rav, if you have a person who got married as a, as a pikeach, he became a cherish, he became incompetent to a degree, he can't speak, he can't hear, he could divorce his wife as long as he could write over instruction, that's effective, we could say he's still considered a pikeach in this regard. Problem is we have a Brisa that says like this, very clearly, cherish, when it comes to a deaf mute, we don't follow his gestures or his movement of his lips. Or a written instruction that he does. Only regarding movable objects, meaning <coughs> transactions of movable objects, you could follow those. But not regarding divorce. Regarding divorce, we cannot follow gesture. So the Gemara says, well, what are we talking about over here? He was married as a pikeach. He was married as a competent person. You see, we don't follow his written instruction for divorce. This is a direct contradiction. And this is a Tana. It's a Brisa. An Amora Rav, Kanamarav Rav, cannot argue on a Brisa. 
<coughs> so the Gemara answers like it often will do, which is Tanoihi. It's really a machlokis Tanoim. Meaning, we're going to, it, it's true, that price is not going to f- be a support of Rav Kanamara, but there's another Brisa, another Tana that does support Rav Kanamara. The Tanya is the Brisa says, Amr Rav Gamliel says, when do we say that you can't write uh, or gesture in order to communicate the case of divorce like here, and it wouldn't be effective? That's Becherish Meikaro. That's when they were married originally, he was already a Cherish. The Gemara is going to analyze this momentarily because we actually said he could divorce when he's a cherish if he was married as a cherish. We'll see in a moment. But if he was married as a pikach, a competent person, and he only became a cherish during the marriage, he could write, this is exactly like Rav, and then others could sign and deliver such a get because the written instruction is going to be effective. So this, Rav Shem Gamliel, clearly holds like Rav Kanam Rav. This is a support to him. So the Gemara just wonders now, side point, but the Bryce of Gamil said that if he was a Cherish from the beginning, he's married as a Cherish, he can't divorce her. Let me just explain this outside. The problem with that is it's not true. Because if he was a Cherish originally and he got married, that marriage is at most binding on a rabbinic level. Because he's considered as not having Daso. When he divorces, he should be allowed to divorce. Because a rabbinic divorce can over, overturn a rabbinic marriage. And that's the halacha, actually. So what's the Rishim Gamil saying? If he got married when he was already a cherish, he can't divorce. The halacha is he could, actually. Because the issue is because it's a derisive marriage. And exactly. A that would be the theoretical issue, but here it's not a problem. Because okay. the Mishnah in Yavama says clearly, just as he gets married through gesture, which is a rabbinic marriage, not verbal command, mm-hmm. he could also divorce her with, with a gesture. So the Gemara answers, Ibi ishto achinami. If you're talking about his own wife, it's true. If he marries her rabbinically through gesture, he could divorce her through gesture. What are we dealing with here is beyavimto. It's a very interesting case. This is talking about his yavama. So you have two brothers. One of them is competent. I'm going to go with that case. We'll see. The Gemara is going to analyze this. But one is competent, one is a cherish. Now the one who's competent gets married. That's a da'araisa marriage. He dies. She falls to yivum or chalitza to the cherish. Now Rashi speaks this out. He can't do chalitza because chalitza requires certain spoken uh, instruction from the yavam, the brother-in-law, as well as the yavama, the woman who falls to yivam. So his only option is to do yivam. He could do yivam because he's not lacking in that regard. Now when he does yivam, it's continuing his brother's marriage, which was daraisa. He can't divorce her after the fact because his divorce is rabbinic in nature. That's what it means. If he was a cher, it was all when he was a cheresh and the marriage was, then it's a problem. Why is it a problem? Because he's marrying his brother's wife, which is a daraisa yibum. As it follows a daraisa marriage, then he can't divorce her. If it was his own wife, yeah, for sure he could, because the whole thing's rabbinic. Here it's daraisa. The Gemara says, But one second, let's analyze the case. Who is Shia Yavama from? Means who did she fall from? What type of a brother was it? If she fell from his brother who was also a cherish, so then the whole marriage beginning was rabbinic, so we should be able to divorce her now. It shouldn't be an issue. Ellis, the Gemara says, like I said, she was married to a competent brother. He died. That was a daraisa marriage. His yibam is daraisa. That's why he can't divorce her. The Gemara says the second answer. Maybe really what happened was she fell from his brother who was also a cherish. But really, the reason he can't divorce her after, on a derisal level, she'll be able to. It's a gezeira. If we allow him to divorce her when he does yibum 
after she fell from his brother Zacharias, you might think he could also divorce her after doing Yibum from his brother who was a Pikeach. Mm -hmm. Now the problem with that is that's not true because that's Doris. That's a Gezer. So Gemara says, Yihachi, but if that's true, Ishtonami. So even when a Cherish marries a woman in general, he shouldn't be allowed to divorce her. It should be a Gezerah. If you allow this, you might allow him to divorce her when he marries a woman from his brother who is a Pikeach in the state, in the state of Yibum. So Gemara says, that's not a question because Yevimto be Yevimto Michlefa. You would make a confusion when it comes to Gezerus. We make Gezerus in situations that are possible confusion, more logical confusions. So you might mix up different types of Yevamos. When she felt him from his brother who was a, a Pikeach, a normal person, and when she felt him from a brother who was a Cherish. But If you allow him to divorce his own wife, you're not going to confuse the situation and think by Yibum he could also divorce his uh, wife when she fell from a Pikeach. So the Gemara says, but the problem is, we know that this type of a Gezerus, not. <coughs> Not true, because umiga zrina cheresh etu pikeach. Do we make a gezera? The case of cheresh based on the case of pikeach. The problem is we're going to show from a mission in Yibamus we don't make such a gezera, and that's we're going to knock off this answer. Turning to ayin aleph mebeis v'hatanan, but we have a mission in Yibamus that says as follows. Remember this halacha in yibum is that if a person is married to a woman, and then a different woman falls to yibum, but that's arayas. Say it's his sister, his daughter. So there's no mitzvah of yibum. He doesn't even have to do chalitza. There's no yibum, no chalitza. So this Mishnah discusses where there's two brothers who are married to two sisters. So in such a scenario, if one of the brothers dies, the sister who's falling to yibum mm -hmm. is an erva called achos ishto, mm -hmm. the sister of his wife. Yeah. There's no yibum and no chalitza. Mm -hmm. So what does the Mishnah say? Vatanah, the Mishnah says, if you have two brothers who are both Cheresian, so they're both deaf mutes, and they're married to two sisters who are competent, it doesn't make a difference what the status of the sisters are, or they're married to two sisters who are both Cheresian as well, or one of the sisters is competent and one is not. But the point is both brothers are Cheresian, and, and they're married to two sisters. V'chein, a similar idea would be, if you have two sisters that are chereshos, they're married to two brothers who are competent, or they're married to two brothers that are chereshos, or one of the brothers is competent and one is not. Now in all these cases, if one of the boys would die, one of the brothers would die, and the wife would fall to the other one, the marriage was all rabbinic in the first place because there was a cherish, either the husband or wife, and their marriage is only rabbinic. So, these would be exempt from chalitza and from yibum because what's going on now is he's married to the sister, the other one falls to yibum, which there's no mitzvah because it's achos ishto, and therefore there's no mitzvah of yibum or chalitza. However, let's say that those girls were not sisters. They were literally means strangers, but they were not related. So then Yikonsu, actually, the Yavam could marry her, could do Yibum. Now again, over here, actually you can't do Chalitza, because also in order to do Chalitza, the girl has to be able to say certain Sukkim, certain verses. She can't say that if she's a Cherish. And if afterwards he wanted to divorce these girls, he could divorce them. But wait a second. If there's a Gezeira in the case Cheresh based on the case of Pikeach, so maybe you shouldn't be allowed to divorce even if the whole marriage was rabbinic in nature because the original marriage from his brother was rabbinic because it might be a scenario she falls from a Pikeach. So you see, obviously, we're not making a Gezeira Cheresh based on Pikeach. So therefore, you can't say the Pshat in the original uh, Brisa that we explained 
Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, that the reason uh, he would not be able to do, um, he would not be able to do uh, divorce her when he marries her is because it's talking about a cheresh and it's a gezerah based on the because we don't make such a gezerah. Hello, <coughs> the Gemara says we revert back as it's more clear like the first answer that it's where she fell from the brother who was a pikeach. Therefore, the original marriage was daraisa, the yibum is daraisa, and that's why he can't divorce because his marriage is only he, he, he can't divorce with a get drabanan, a connection, a, a marriage daraisa. Bottom line, we've shown that Rav Kahnamarab is supported by the Tana Rav Shem Megamliel, who holds that so long as he can write, we show that his level of competency was retained. Even though he became a cherish after he was married, he could still divorce her. Amr Rabbi Yochanan says, Rabbi Yochanan, halukin alav chaver of al Rav Shem Megamliel. The Chachamim argue on Rav Shem Megamliel. And we're about to illustrate this, but Rav Shem Megamliel holds that writing can be a form of of distinguishing that he's a pikeach and you could divorce her even though he's a cherish after the fact, meaning in that state. But the Chachamim argue and say even if he writes, it would not determine that he's a pikeach and you cannot divorce her still. Amr Abaye says, Afan Mamitanina. So we also have a Mishnah that illustrates this, which is that Mishnah we quoted above in Yevamas. What does the Mishnah say? If after they're married, the woman becomes a shota. Now you got a problem. Because, and we're going to explain this later better, but the problem is like this. If she's a shota, he should really be able to divorce her still. She can't accept again. So we're assuming she's not a shota to the degree that she can't accept it and protect it. Because if that's true, you're right. He wouldn't be able to on a daraisa level. She could still guard it, but the problem is like this. If he divorces her, she's not going to be married to anybody, and she can't protect herself. So then people are going to take advantage of her. This we're going to explain later. So lo yotzi, he should not divorce her. Nischaresh, who, onishtata, now if the husband becomes a cheresh or a shota, so the b'risa says, lo yotzi olamis, the Mishnah in Inavamis. It says, he cannot divorce her forever. Now this word olamis is the key. What do you mean he can't divorce her forever? He can't divorce her because he needs das to divorce her. What's the implication of olamis? So my olamis, what does it mean forever? So lav afalgav doesn't it mean it's an inclusionary term? Like the chachamim, even though he could write the instruction, since he can't verbalize, articulate instruction, he can't divorce her. So this is the chachamim who argue on Rishim Megamliel, even though he could write it over and he was a pikeach originally. This does not determine that he's a pikeach and he can't divorce her. So Rav Papa, Rav Papa says it's not necessarily a proof that the chachamim argue. Because he loved Ashmin and Rabbi Yochanan. If Rabbi Yochanan would not have said it's a debate and the Chachamim argue and say this is not an effective strategy to divorce, Ava Amina, I would have said, Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, time of the Tanakama with the Asa. That really Rabbi Shimon ben and the Tanakama agree. And Rabbi Shimon ben was just explaining the Tanakama, meaning he was distinguishing between the case where he was a pikeach in the beginning that divorce is an option if he could write later, and where it was not a pikeach in the beginning, you don't need that, you could divorce because he's a cherish after the fact, and, and the whole marriage was drabanan. Umay olamis, and what did the Tanakama mean when he says olamis? So then we would have interpreted one of two ways. Afalgab, the chazin alay dekharif. Even if we see that he's sharp, meaning he was married when he was bikeach, he got, became a cherish after the fact. So even if he's sharp but he can't write, nonetheless, we would not be able to allow him to divorce because he can't write. But then it would come out that they're not actually arguing from the Mishnah. And with Ad Rabbi Yochanan saying it's a debate, I wouldn't know it's a debate. Inami. Alternatively, I would have interpreted Olamis as the implication. Now, in the scenario where he doesn't have Das, he became a Shota after they got married. 
a cherish, etc. So he can't divorce her on a Daraisa level because he needs Das to divorce her. But a girl theoretically should be allowed to be divorced on a Daraisa level without Das because she could be divorced against her will in the mm-hmm. first place, even when she's competent. Mm-hmm. So the Chiddush of Olamis would be to say, specifically by him, is there an issue on a Daraisa level? By her, it's not an issue on a Daraisa level, it's only a rabbinic issue, which is the Gezer that I mentioned before. Really, a shota girl could be divorced. Just like a pikachas, a competent girl, could be divorced against her will. So why did Chazal say you can't divorce, you shouldn't divorce a girl who's a shota? So people shouldn't take advantage of her. Meaning, there's no one to protect her. That's why it's saying in the Bryce, on a rabbinic level, that's what the implication of Olamis is. Olamis is in the Seifa. Regarding the man, there's a Doraisa issue. Regarding the girl, it's only a Drabanan issue. So people don't take advantage of her. Either way, we've upheld the Machlokis Tanoim. And we've explained also that Rav Kanamara follows the opinion of Rav Gamliel. Okay, let's move on to the next mission. Point number two of the day. And this will tie back into a sugya we spoke about earlier about Mili Mimsra and Lashliach. If a Shliach is instructed, or in this case we're going to talk about three people, are instructed to accomplish something, but it's only verbal. There was no actual get or something physical given to them. Do they have the capacity to pass that on to someone else? So the Mishnah says like this, Amr Lo, now let's say three people. So three people say to a person, it could be two people, but the point is when he speaks to them, it's three people. They say to a person, we're talking about a normal person now, shall we write a get for your wife? Now he says to a group of three, it's important, Rashi explains, we'll see later. Three is a Bezdin, and Bezdin has the capacity to delegate responsibility. Yeah. So that's important. So he says back to them, write the get. So let's say that three people group went and said to the sofa to write it. And then they went and told witnesses to sign it. But they didn't do it on their own. Right. Even if those people ended up writing it, the sofa wrote it, and the witnesses signed it based on the instruction of these three people, and then they gave it to the husband, and then the husband gave this get to the woman, the get is going to be bottle. Why? Because the husband didn't instruct them directly. Until the husband says directly to the sofer, write it, and to the witnesses, sign it. <coughs> now the Gemara is going to try to figure out, we had a machlokus above, Rabbi Yossi and Rabbi Meir, if mili mimster and l'shadech or not, if verbal command can be passed on from a group of three to someone else. So the Gemara says, first of all, there's two parts of this Mishnah. The first part of the Mishnah says, that the sofer told this group of three, kisovu. Now, kisovu means you should write it. Rashi understands. Why would he say specifically write it? He's embarrassed to imply that he doesn't know how to write. Mm-hmm. So what he's telling them, specifically, I want you to write it. Don't tell anybody else because I don't want my shame to be spread. Mm-hmm. So there, it's a particular instruction. But the implication of that is, if you would only say tenu, mm-hmm. give it, so maybe they could pass it on. So the Gemara says, time of the law Amar Tenu. The reason that they can't pass it on to someone else in the beginning of the Mishnah is because the husband did not say to this group of three, give it, pass it on. Give it, meaning I only want you to give it, but that theoretically implies you could pass it on. Ha'amar Tenu, but if he would have said Tenu, and not Kisfu, Ksovu, 
Nostin. So then they would to Nostin. They would be able to pass on the instruction, and they'd be able to deliver it to him, and it would be able to be divorced. So Mani, who's the author of the first part of the Mishnah? Rabbi Meir. He it's Rabbi Meir to Amar Mili Mimsar and Lishliach. That when the instruction is given properly, it could be passed on to the next messenger. It could be delegated. Ema safe for the Gemara says, but look at the safe of the Mishnah. The safe of the Mishnah, the end of the Mishnah says, It says in the end of the Mishnah that the only time that the sofer and the witnesses could write it and sign it is if the husband directly instructs the sofer and the Aidim. So what do you see? This fits Rabyosi's Shita to Amru says, You can't pass on verbal instruction. Because if you could, he didn't have to command them directly. He just had to command the Shluchim, the messengers, in the proper way of Tanu. So Reisha Reb Meir, the Sefer Reb Yossi, is the Reisha, the first part Reb Meir, and the Sefer is like Reb Yossi. Generally, a Mishnah is to be consistent in whose author it follows. The first answer the Gemara says, in, yes, Reisha Reb Meir, the Sefer Reb Yossi. There are strange times that, it's, that a Mishnah is written in this way. The Reisha, is the, the first part is like one sheet, the Reb Meir, who says you could pass on verbal instruction, and the Sefer is not, like Reb Yossi, that you can't. Now Abaye Omar, Abaye tries to say an answer that makes it all like one Tana. Second answer. Kula Reb Meir, he really could say the whole Mishnah is like Reb Meir. And therefore, in the beginning of the Mishnah, if you said Tanu, you'd be able to pass it on, they'd be able to delegate, because he's not being mockbitted that he wants them to take care of it. He, he could, he's saying you could pass it on if you want. The safe of the Mishnah is where he didn't say Tanu. Since he didn't say Tanu, it can't be passed on, because he wasn't implying that he wants it to be passed on. Rather, it's where he said Kisovu. Yehachi, the Gemara says, if that's true... Why does the end of the Mishnah say it's only when you command the sofer? Really what it should have said is, it's not only if you command the sofer, you could pass it on until you say tenu. If you say tenu, so then it would be effective to pass on. But not necessarily do you have to command the sofer. So the Gemara says, It should have said, until you say tenu. So Elis Abaye reframes his answer. Oh, the issue is, he didn't command three people. If you command two people, you're not making a bezdin. Even Remeir would concede two people are not considered significant to delegate onto others. So the says again, but Yachi, if that's true, so then again, the Mishnah should have said at the end, <coughs> you can only pass it on if you say to three people, not if you specifically command the sofer. That's not necessary ultimately. Ella the Gemara says a final attempt. We go the other way with Abaye now. Kula Rabbi Yossi, let's say the other way. That the entire Mishnah really follows the opinion of Rabbi Yossi. What are we dealing with in the Reisha, the beginning of the Mishnah? Because I understand the Seifa, is that it only would be effective if you command the Sofer directly because verbal instruction can't be passed on. So what's the Reisha talking about? It means the Reisha which says Kisovu, which implies we said Tanu you could pass on. So how do we explain it? Kisovu is not to imply that if you would say Tanu it could be passed on because it's like Rabbi Yossi, you can't. But rather, what is the implication? So this is a chiddush, though. You can see this gets into a debate. The reisha of the Mishnah could be like Rabbi Yossi too, but it's where you did where you didn't say imru. It's where you didn't say uh, command it, pass it on. That's what that's what the reisha of the Mishnah is saying. Meaning, in the beginning of the Mishnah, we're saying you can't pass it on is because you didn't say imru, which means if the husband would just in general give instruction, can't be passed on. But if the husband would instruct for it to be passed on, then it could be passed on. 
Yihachi, the Gemara says, if that's true, So then the end of the Mishnah should have said, it could only be passed on when you say Imru, when you say pass it on, when the husband gives that instruction. Why does it bring in the Sofer? And furthermore, does he really agree you could pass it on when the husband instructs that the Mishaleach, the original principal person, says you could pass it on? And we quoted this earlier, but we have a Mishnah on Pezayinamud Beis. And the Mishnah says like this, if you find a get that has the handwriting of the sofer and there's one witness signed in it, kosher, it's acceptable. But Omer of Yermi, and Rav Yermi explains why is it acceptable? Because chasam sofer shaninu. Really, it's where the sofer signed in it as well. So you have a, a, a get that comes out. It has the sofer wrote it, the sofer signed in it. That's really what chasam means. It means he signed and one other witness. So, so it's two. Amr of Chizda, and Rav Chizda explained, Masnisin money, who's the author of the Mishnah that says this is acceptable? Turn to Ayin Beis Aleph. Rav Yossi is the opinion of Yossi. To Amr who says, Mili lo mimser and lashliach, you can't pass on verbal instruction. So Rashi explains, because according to Rav Meir, who says you could pass on verbal instruction, there's a concern here, because maybe the shliach was commanded, I want you to go find the sofer to write it and aid him to sign it. When he came to the sofer, he was embarrassed because he said, if I don't tell the sofer to sign it himself, he'll suspect the reason I'm not telling him to sign it is because I think he's incompetent of signing. So maybe what happened is he wrote it and he he actually wrote it and signed it himself. And since Ramir holds Mili Mimster and Lashliach, you could pass on verbal instruction, the sofer assumed that's what the husband had said. So says the Gemara, it can't be like Ramir, that's what... Rav Chizda is explaining that Mishnah would say it's acceptable. It's not like Reb Meir because there's a suspicion. Maybe it was passed on as the sofer would sign it if you hold mili mimster and lishliach. It must be like Reb Yossi who says you can't pass on verbal instruction. But the Gemara says what's the point? If Reb Yossi really holds that in general you can't pass on verbal instruction, but if the husband commands it to be passed on, it could be passed on, so nafik minachorba, you'll have the same problem. Because maybe there will be a time where the husband will tell two people, tell the sofer just to write it, and then two others should sign it, and then when the shluchim approach the sofer, they'll be embarrassed to say, he didn't want you to sign it, and they'll tell him to sign it. But he never told them to sign it. That's the point. The husband never said this. So the Gemara says is, it must be, that the reason that it could be like Rabbi Yossi, as Rav Chizda explains, is because Rabbi Yossi says across the board, verbal instruction cannot be passed on to another, even where the husband commands it, and the sofa will only sign if he's actually commanded by the husband. That's why it would be kosher. But what do you see ultimately is that Rabbi Yossi says if the husband commands directly mm -hmm. it, that, that it should be passed on, it still can't be passed on. So that can't be shot in the Mishnah either. Ella, so the Gemara says, It's more clear, whoa, that the first answer of the Gemara is, like the first answer of the Gemara, that the Reish, the first part of the Mishnah is Reb Meir, who holds that you could pass on verbal instruction, the Seif was like Reb Yossi, you cannot. Now Ravashi is the third answer. Ravashi Omar, Kula Reb Yossi, the whole Mishnah is like Reb Yossi. Now, it's not going to be a question in the first part of the Mishnah why it seems to imply where he says, uh, where he says, Kisovu. Because the way we're going to interpret the Mishnah is, it's all like Rabbi Yossi, you cannot pass on verbal instruction across the board. However, says Ravashi, you have to interpret the Mishnah in the Lomi Bai format, which means he says the smaller Chiddush, and then he slowly builds up to the bigger Chiddush. Let's read that inside. This is how we'll interpret the Mishnah like Rabbi Yossi. For sure, it can't be passed on to other people where he didn't say Tenu. 
Not only where he didn't say tenu, even if he did say tenu, he said, I want you to give this get, and he didn't specifically say kisovu, lo, still it can't be passed on. And we're going to interpret it through the Seifa now. And not only where he didn't say it to three people, a Bezdin who has the ability to delegate, he only said to two, for sure it can't be passed on. Even if he said to three people, the which is a Bezdin that generally could delegate, they still can't delegate to others. And not only where he didn't say Imru, meaning where he didn't say specifically to pass it on, even if he said, I want you specifically to pass it on, it still can't be passed on. So basically what Ravashi is saying is the whole Mishnah could be like Rabbi Yossi, you can't pass on instruction, it's just building up to the Chiddush. Let's finish up here. Tanya Kavasi Ravashi, there's a price that supports Ravashi's contention that even Ba'omer Imru, the husband gives specific instruction to pass it on, Rabbi Yossi says it can't be passed on because the price says, if the sofer wrote the get for the sake of the woman, which is good, and the edim signed it even if they wrote it and signed it and gave it to the husband, and he gave it to her, the get will be bottle, until the sofer and the witnesses heard his voice, because he says to the sofer to write it, and he specifically says to the witnesses to sign it. So the Gemara explains, what do you see? Yishmu, the fact that it says the Shiyishmu, they have to hear his voice. Yishmu is Lafuki Mimanda Amar, Moder Rabyosi Omar Imru. So Yishmu excludes the opinion who says Rabyosi agrees, where the husband gives direct instruction to pass it on, it's acceptable. The Khidish is that we don't go like that, which actually Shmuel held that way. But Shmuel disagreed. He said, Omar Imru, it could be passed on. No, it can't be passed on. They actually have to hear it directly in order to be able to carry out this process. And Kolo, why does it say his voice? Lafuki Midrafkana Marav. It excludes the opinion we started off the day with Rafkana Marav, who says, even even if he verb, uh, writes in a document that he wants the get to take place when he got married, when he was a pikach, it could still be done even though he's a cheresh now because it determines a pikach. That's not true, actually. He actually has to verbalize the direct command. It wouldn't be effective like the Chachamim, not like Rav Shem Gamliel, and not like the opinion of Kana Marav. Stopping at the Mishnah. Um, almost halfway down, Ayin Beis. But Aleph is Rav Shem will pick up tomorrow with Daf Ayin Beis.